Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. Today's guest is the director, producer, and writer Michael Seldich. He was the showrunner on the most recent season of Catfish on MTV, so he has lots of fun stories about that show and other shows that he's worked on. But first, a little bit of business. Um, I'm very excited to announce that this podcast now has its own website. Yay! It's DennisAnyone.net. I don't know who has .com, but I have .net. And um, it's up and running. I designed it myself on Squarespace. I'm very proud of that. And there you can find um, all the past episodes so far with some pictures and stuff. Um, There's a link to the audience poll, which if you would take that, that would mean so much to me. That's my big thing right now to try to to try to build the website is to get folks to take that audience poll. So if you go to DennisAnyone.net, it's right there on the front page. Just scroll down. Much easier to find than on the Facebook page. Um, there is also a link where you can donate and help me out and help keep this podcast free. And while we're on that topic, um, I owe a few people a, a bit of an apology. I got some tips that I didn't know about. And, um, what happened was when I first set that up, the person that explained that to me said that they had the PayPal app on their phone. And so when they would get a donation, they'd get a little push notification on their phone and they'd be like, oh, and it would always make their day. So I was like, I want to do that. So I thought I had it set up right and I wasn't getting any push notifications. And then it turned into the guy that wouldn't call me. And I'm like, I'm not going to check. He's going to have to call me. I'm not going to call him. So finally, I ended up going into my PayPal account, and I saw that there were a number of donations that came in um, that were so generous. And I was like, he called, he called. So I'm sorry I was playing hard to get. And I would like to thank Karen Ellis and Danny Casillas and Eric Pumala and Robert Abley for their generous donations. It really helps to keep the podcast free. And just last week, I ordered this device on the Sharper Image website, And it'll help you convert old cassette tapes into MP3 files because I have some funny stuff from my past that I think might make fun extras for the podcast. So I ordered this device and it went from my PayPal account. So in essence, you guys all invested and bought that for me and then some. So uh, the device just arrived and I can't wait to see if I can make it work. Because now I'm a technology fiend, as you can clearly see from my website, DennisHensley.net. Um, on a much more serious note, uh, this is the first recording I've done on the podcast since we lost Joan Rivers, and a lot of you know that I worked for her for two and a half years on Fashion Police, and I wrote some of my thoughts, uh, about working with her and about, uh, what I admired about her on my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, and, and you can see them there if you're interested, but the image that I've had of her since she passed when I think about her is that she was kind of like the superhero to to me and to everyone. She um, she would fly back and forth from New York to L.A. every week to do Fashion Police. And so I have this image of her just flying all over the country, and she her stamina was superhuman. I don't know how she did it. And, and she would just fly everywhere and and bring people this joy and this this sort of relief and humor that came from finding the humor in life the way it was, seeing things the way things were. And I think it was incredibly cathartic for everyone that she met and also just a ton of fun and a lot of joy. And so I just have this image of her flying around everywhere and, um, and making people happy. So, 
Um, rest in peace, Joan Rivers. It was a privilege to have worked with you and, and um, had that experience. So on to the podcast. Um, I think you'll enjoy my chat with Michael Seldich. He's somebody that proves that uh, you don't have to sell your soul to work in reality television. And he's also been a great help to me in building this podcast. So um, enjoy. Hi there, and welcome to Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. That's me, and I am in the West Hollywood condominium of my guest today, Michael Seldich. He is a TV showrunner and a director and a producer and a writer. He's worked in all kinds of different types of programming. He's worked a lot in the reality space, as they say in the business. I love when they talk about the space. We're going to be working a lot in the reality space. I've actually never heard that term, but really? I like it. The reality I thought space. you would have heard those all the time in those meetings where people say stuff like... Um, I hear a lot. We got another hit on our hands and stuff. Non-scripted. Non-scripted. In the non-scripted space. Non-scripted. All right, cool. And uh, he also... One of the shows that he you did was called Architecture School. So you're a, a bit of a architecture fan and a junkie. And when we were walking in here to his condo, he actually designed you designed the lobby for your condo complex i did well that's i I I know some people like i'll do a little (laughs) newsletter or maybe i'll you know put a sign up by the pool or i don't need these lawn chairs anymore you designed the lobby of your condo complex well because i was an architect right for 14 years so right on do you have great printing i do See, that's what because I love. Because I was doing it right before computers caught right. on, and now architects in school don't print anymore. No, it's all computer. But you they can, don't even draw anymore. So you, like, if you were going to write a little to-do list, would you do block letters or would you do cursive? I would do block letters. Block letters, and yeah. I bet. It but would, I've gotten would, a little sloppy. I mean, but I, I bet they would be beautiful. If I want them to be clean, I yeah. can do that. But I've gotten a little sloppy over the years. What do you think of when you see a, a blank sheet of graph paper? Does it bring back, like, do you think of school, or do you think of, like, does it speak to you? I would probably want to draw something on it more than write something on it. Right. You would want to, but it would call to you. It would. For sure. It would. So, how do you go to your condo board and say, hey, let me, (laughs) I've got this, I'm on this. Actually, they asked me. Oh, cool. I'm on the board now, but when I I originally did it, you know, my next-door neighbor is is on the board, and he said, hey, do you want to design the lobby? And I said, "Uh, okay. How long did it take? Was it one of those things where you think it won't be that hard, and then it ends up being really hard? No, because I've done that before, and I knew exactly how. Yeah. I mean, it was probably three weeks of construction that I was overseeing. But then, you know, I had I had to design it. I had to find, you know, I shopped for yes. furniture and materials and figured out how am I going to do this wooden wall. And, you a know, it had, and I did a little presentation for them. I did renderings. and You went and pitched I, it to them. Did you pitch it, it to, to the, the whole building or just the board? Just the board. board. And that was my one thing. I said to them, I'll, I'll do this if, if the whole building's not involved and I'm just pitching to the board, that's fine. But if we have to get 50 residents involved, I don't, no. don't want to do it. Can I tell you, we just had our condo complex annual meeting and some years I can't go, and some years I go, and some years I can go and say I can't go. And every year I'm like, just go, Dennis. You're part of this place. It's your duty. You should go. And it turns into the biggest Gladys Kravitz mm-hmm. complain off. Exactly. And the poor board gets no respect for the volunteer work that they do. Yep. And every year... 
I think I'm going to try it. I need to go. And it turns into the same thing. But I try to go anyway. But that's yeah, awesome that exactly, you're on the board. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Yeah. It's, it's, it can be really frustrating. Oh, we have a tenant who's suing the board. Oh. I mean, it's, and it's a ridic- it's ridiculous. And I don't the board is on, it. no. It's but ridiculous. Let's but, just say but I it know is exactly a thankless job and my hat is off to anyone on any board of any condo. Now, was it a love fest when you finished it? Was everyone like, oh my yeah. God, we love it. Yeah. Everyone except that guy who's suing us for something really? entirely different. Cause he's, he's got a, some, he's some such a curmudgeon. He's like an 80 year old curmudgeon. That's he's cool. Just, he's miserable. I bet everyone smiled at you a little brighter after that. I bet they, it was nice. Everybody I bet they really, was like, "Wow, he really did something neat for us." Especially if you saw it before. Yeah, it looked like amazing. a convalescent home. Before. Really, it was like beige vinyl wallpaper. It you was have really bad. Awesome taste. What's your favorite thing? His apartment has got like it's got sort of what are those chairs? They're very famous. Um, these are uh, Marcel Breuer. Uh, Marcel Breuer chairs, yeah, and then there's chair. it's sort of it's kind of a mid-century modern mixed thing. with. Like, I like mixing up stuff. Like, yeah. that is some Indonesian thing. Right. It's your, uh, like, TV Which cabinet. most people wouldn't put it with those chairs, but I right. think it's interesting. Nice. I love it. Your place is Thanks. awesome. Thanks. Now, the kinds of shows you've worked on, you worked on Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, mm-hmm. you worked on Catfish most recently, you worked on um, the design one with the big family that looks like the Brady Bunch. Right. Nine by Novogratz. Yes, that one. Or, no, no, no. Nine by Design. Nine by I'm Design. I'm mixing up their two shows. Then they had another show called Home by Novogratz. Right. I'm like blur- blurring the two titles together. So let's start with Catfish, which is on MTV. Uh, you show ran the most recent season. Yeah. Um, I Actually, this was an interesting scenario because I co-show ran it okay. with another showrunner. We, sh- a showrunner, we both... Um, Dave Metzler, who's basically the showrunner who kind of created the show. Right. Um, who's awesome. And I, I've known Dave for 10 years because he actually worked on Queer Eye. Okay. So um, we co-show ran it together because going out on those shoots is like so grueling and there's so many of them and we were doing specials. There was 12 episodes and two specials and... It was a lot. It, it was a lot of stuff. So we both kind of oversaw like the whole season and casting and story yeah. And then I went out on half of them, and he went out on half of them. Now, Catfish, for those of you who haven't watched it, it was inspired by the movie of the same name. And it has to do, and it's actually become a term that's coined and it's part of the lexicon. It's, you got catfished, I was catfished. It recently was put in a dictionary. It's amazing. It's, it's really it's cool. sort of an internet relationship that is struck up that is... Deceptive well, or p- potentially deceptive on one end or another, or maybe both. Exactly. I don't know. That, the definition, a, yeah, the definition, I don't know by heart, but it's, it's <clears throat> an online relationship where one person is, you know, lying about who they are. Wow. So you're involved in casting these things. Casting, yeah, I'm involved or, or in it. the catfish people. There's a is, whole group that do it. Yeah, it's relativity production company. Right. They were really fun to work for. They have a big casting department because they do a lot of shows. And they're casting all year long. So there was like, there was probably a group of at least 10 people in the casting department working on the show. I would it think it would be very show. hard to cast. It's the hardest show I've people. ever worked on casting wise. Now, do you really use hard. terms like this person is the catfisher? This person is the catfishy? This the person is the catfish? The catfish and the, and the hopeful. And the hopeful. Yeah, which I love that term. 
the catfish and the hopeful might be yeah. the name of this podcast. <laughs> so, because uh, I, I think like in the, season one they the, called it the victim, and then they all just started no. feeling like, no, that's so sad. No, because and sometimes they are it works so out. hopeful. Yes, yes, and sometimes it does work out. The so catfish it's a much and the hopeful. Yeah. Okay, you're most likely to probably find a hopeful that comes to you and says, "Hey, I think I have a story." Right? Yeah. I mean, a catfish I, would this never is come how it to works, you and, and say, "I can't really," you know. I can't really say too many of yeah, those secrets. Yeah, say what you but, can say. But, but um, you know, there are times, now that the show's really popular, people write into the show. And a lot of hopefuls will write in and say, right. I have been in this relationship for X number of years, and I really want to meet him or her, and I can't get them to meet me. Will you help me? And for all of those people who think that it's fake, it is not fake. It is absolutely real. Neve and Max don't know anything about what we're going to do. When they do right. their investigation, they are literally doing it for the first time. They don't even know where we're going. You know what? Neve and Max room. have enough on their hands being adorable all the time. That's, that's They right. don't need that extra headache. They're pretty adorable. They're so adorable. They're very funny. Yeah. And, ve- and really smart. Which you is like why them? The are they works. cool? Yes, they're very cool. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. But, um, so, you know, if... Neve and Max are the hosts. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. the the... They were both involved in the film that it was inspired well, Max, by. Well, Max wasn't involved in the oh, film, okay. but Max was a filmmaker who went to school with Rel, who's Neve's brother. I see. And Rel and um, Henry okay. made the film. Okay. So, you know, Max knows all of them for many years, and, you know, Rel and Henry have gone on to do, like, Paranormal, those, those films. And yeah. So they weren't as involved in the show. I mean, they're executive producers sure. on the show, but they're not involved on a daily right. basis. So they had to cast a, you know, a sidekick for him. For me. So, you know, it made sense that it was somebody he knew. It's been a while since I've seen an episode, but what happens is they kind of get a docket like Charlie's Angels. Like, here's your case for the week. Right. Well, they get an email. They get an an email. email from the hopeful. Yeah. From the hopeful saying, here's the thing. explains the story. And then they go about sort of They Skype with them, and then they come and meet them in person. And then the hopeful shows them, you know all the stuff online, these are the, these are the pictures of yeah. this person, whatever. Look how and hot then they she say, is. Yeah, and they're like, okay, let me gather all this information, and then they go somewhere else, and they do their investigation. It seems like you work on a number of different reality shows where there's different types of stories being told, but I think even as a producer on this, you would be, like, shocked at the twists. I, I think it would be compelling to watch unfold. Is that fair to say? It, yeah, it is, although... Holy shit. As a producer, I know where it's going. You like, know. We, we know, you know, we've, we've talked to everybody. You're a step ahead of... I mean, I don't know of- how it's going to work because they sometimes find something in, a, right. in an investigation that's completely different than we right. thought they were going to find. So I don't always know, but I have a little more information. Right. But even getting do. that and, information... And we don't tell that to Neiman Max. They really try to... Yeah, getting that information. You're like, holy shit, guess what I just found out. Yeah. What have you observed about people in the internet age from working on this show? It seems like people just want to connect with people. People do, and people are dying to be, you know, quote-unquote famous. I mean, this whole thing with, like, Instagram famous. Yeah. You know, there was a girl, I think our first episode this season was a girl who kind of claimed Instagram fame. Right. She had, like, 15,000 followers on Instagram. And it was because she was hot. Yeah. You know, and she just posted a lot of sexy selfies of herself. Right. That, but, but it, 
made her, she has 15,000 followers. Was she a catfish or a hopeful? She was the hopeful. Right. And after the show, you know, it bumped up to like 40,000. Right. You know, so, I mean, people are just, I, I have to say I'm guilty of it too. I got a little obsessed with Instagram and Twitter and I'm not a big, t- I don't tweet a lot. I really right. don't. I really got into Instagram because I'm just more visual. Well, you're visual. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, and that was really pictures. fun. And while I was doing the show, I was Instagramming a lot. And yeah. we were taking a lot of pictures during the show. So that was fun to post, you know, like behind the scenes pictures and stuff. And yeah. um, like the deep Just Neve yeah. having a hot chocolate in his stocking exactly. feet. Yes. I'm more Camp Neve than Camp Max. Although I know other people that are there's, more Camp Max. You know, there's people that go both ways. Yeah. They're yeah. both very cute. They are both very cute. Now, it would seem like, as a producer, this would be challenging because the catfish could be in Maine and the hopeful could be in Hawaii. Like, yeah. So it it's seems a lot like of you're traveling. all over the place trying to piece it together, right? It is. It's a lot of traveling. I mean, you, you know, we shoot it in like a week and we probably go to three or four cities in that week. So it's a lot of moving around. Um, have you ever cried while watching a scene unfold? I did. Yeah. There was there were a couple really, really intense ones this season. That, Can you tell you know, me a little more about them? They've already aired, right? They've Uh-oh. already aired, yeah. I mean, one of them really surprised everybody because it actually was who he said he was. But he seemed to not be. Like, everything he did was just so vague that it, was, it seemed really clear that it wasn't going to be him. And everyone, including even Max, were shocked when this kid walked out. Yeah. And he really had a great connection with this girl, but she had a boyfriend and she decided to stay with the boyfriend. So it was like, it was when they left each other, we were all like in tears when they they really connected. They even got matching tattoo. Well, not matching, but it it was like, you know, and I thought she can really get a tattoo. He wanted to do that. And I thought, well, go for it. Ask her. And she did. They did it. Yeah. On camera. On camera. Right. Do you ever use expressions like tears on tape? I feel like that was No, on but that's a good one. Some show. Maybe it was... I don't know what I was talking to somebody else or... Uh, somebody maybe that did interviews and they're like, oh, we got tears on tape. Like you would text back to your boss. I, that's How did great, it go? That's a tears great on tape. Yeah. Did they just call it Todd? Maybe they shortened it to Todd. They but it should. was kind of like... That was one of them. And one Fashion Police, we used to have this expression called um, a tease appointment. Which was not for our show, really, but other people that worked on our shows had worked on Entertainment Tonight and shows like that. And tease appointments are a combination of the word teaser and disappointment. So you'd be like, find out that thing in your house that can kill you right, right after. And then you come back and it's, you know, uh, a knife that happens to be sticking out of a door. Like it's that <laughs> thing of like, they oversell something right. and then like it's the nothing. News. Yeah, it's like the news, but like it's like coming up with a tease right. appointment. I think we had more, I think we had way more tears on Queer Eye. Yeah, I remember. Queer Eye um, used to really move me, and what it was my moving. favorite scene was when the straight guy would thank the gay guys. I don't know if you had a term for that. Uh, the um, well, at the end, the bro, when they, yeah, yeah, at the end, it was probably during the reveal. The reveal, yeah. the reveal, the 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 bro hug. I don't know what <laughs> if there was a, an expression for it. This is so funny because this reminds me of when. You and I did an interview back in like 2005, and we right. were talking a lot about Queer Eye, and you were really, 
<laughs> you were really into the term, the names of the things like the ambush and stuff like that. Oh yeah, well funny. I like that stuff, that's and I funny. also kind of think it's funny. So that well, was you one know, of those the- were those were real tears. I mean, that's the thing that was so fun about that show is that those guys came in very skeptical. Yeah, and they left in love with these five guys. Yeah, the straight guys were like they were really really moved. How many episodes do you think you did of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy? Oh God, I don't know. I worked on it. You two, were in that fucking seasons. van. Yeah. Or that, that blazer. What was it? I was there a couple seasons. It was a Denali. It was a Denali. Yeah. It was like the OJ car almost. Yeah, a big suburban. And I remember Denali. you telling me that during those scenes when they're in the car talking, you were crouched in the back yeah, there was with a, the sound equipment or whatever. There was a whole stack of monitors in yeah. the back. Yeah. And you were literally like laying down on your side? Yeah, so that you couldn't see my head over there. Wow. Now, what's the name of the guy that always drove it? Tom. Tom. Tom what, was he the best driver? I think it was like a combination of he was a good driver. There were some others that were bad drivers. And I think like Jay didn't have a driver's license. I don't remember. Right. It was like a combination of like, you know, um, elimination. Because he, everyone else had right. some reason why they couldn't drive or something and like that. And somebody else had the docket on their lap. But he was like right. the Shirley Jones of that particular yeah. Partridge family. And man, talk about talented. Yeah. Tom Felicia is so talented. I still think out of all the makeover shows that you see on TV, on TLC and, H- and HGTV, Felicia is so good. Yeah. He just has such a great eye. Now, did you ever, when you were working on that show, get ideas for yourself? Like, I need to pick up that little waistcoat. That was a I would that get, was adorable. It was more clothing ideas than yeah. than than uh, design. Design. Although there were some things that I remember that Tom, like one thing that Tom used to say, and actually this room is kind of um, part of that, where he would say, "Don't be afraid of painting a wall a dark color, like a whole room a dark color, because it actually makes the walls recede and it makes the room feel bigger." Yeah. Most people would think the opposite. Yeah, that's sort of a myth. Yeah, but I do you remember. Did, you, you, you're, and these your walls, walls are kind of dark. dark. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember when. Uh, I remember when Carson said, uh, pull out your cowboy boots. It's okay to wear cowboy boots again. Yeah. So this was like 2004 or five yeah. or something. And I thought, I have some cowboy boots that I haven't worn in years. And I pulled them out. I think I'll do so, that. Thank yeah. you, Carson. Well, you know, that was 10 years ago. So yeah. who knows what's uh, what's uh, appropriate now, whether cowboy boots are appropriate or not. Did you have a queer eye that you bonded with more than others or that you spent um, more time with or... No, I mean they were they were pretty cool. I liked them all. Yeah, you know, as a group, they were sometimes hard to direct because they all talked at the same time. Yeah, so it was really hard to you know get their attention. I remember that show really feeling groundbreaking at at the time in terms of like gay representations yeah. and like owning something that we used to sort of owning a sort of stereotype about us and twisting it a little. It was. What was? Did it feel that way at the time? And was there were there people that were like haters on it or any of that stuff that you remember? I don't remember any haters, but um, you know, I came into it after the first season, so they right. had just won an Emmy. Right. So they so had that all, was all really, of that stuff that already happened. The, they were on the cover of every magazine. Yeah. And, you know. Also, it was a time when. There were no... It, I mean, it was groundbreaking as a reality show. Yeah. There weren't... I mean, I guess Survivor had been on then, and, you know, there were definitely reality shows, but there were no, like... You know, it was before Project Runway. It was before Big Giant. You know, it was certainly before The Voice or Idol or any of that stuff. So it was like, all of a sudden, this show, this reality show thing that everybody yeah. thought, oh, it's not going to last, it's going to go away in a year or two, yeah. was huge. 
yeah. with huge ratings and, you know, and, you know, they were all over the place. So right. that was kind of exciting to yeah. think, to think like, wow, a show like this could get this kind of response. And I think that in and of itself was groundbreaking. What was your favorite show that you worked on in that, in the reality space? Um, I mean, I love the two that we just talked about a lot. They were both fun experiences, but, um, you know, there's other ones. I mean, I guess one that really feels very near and dear to me is architecture school. Cause I created that. Right, and that was on the Sundance channel. That was on Sundance channel. Yeah. And I did that through my own company. Wow. So right I literally on. pitched it to them and then somehow they said yes and let me do it through my own company, which I feel like if I did that today, they wouldn't let me do it through my own company because I don't have a, you know. You would have to, you would have to, company you would have to team people. with yeah, magical I, elves or exactly, scout or whoever. Exactly. But at that but that point, wasn't that which, long ago. It was 2008. I know. And it's that different now? Well, I don't even think that show would be greenlit now. Yeah. Because that show was purely a documentary series. It was not a reality show. And there was no competition element. Well, there, there sort of was, but it was inherent in what we were doing. And, you know, by, do- by saying that it was a documentary and not a reality show, I remember having to make that distinction a lot when we were shooting it because people were afraid at first of us. And people, the people, subjects. The Tulane, I mean, basically it was, we went to Tulane University and we looked at a lot of universities and we shot a graduate school architecture class and they were all, this was like a year or two after Katrina, they were designing houses. They each did their own house and then they chose one. So that's where the competitive element. Right. And then they built it, literally built it from the ground up. They dug holes for foundation, poured concrete, you know, a bunch of 20 year olds who'd never hammered a nail. So we shot them for a year because it took them one semester to design it and then a whole semester to build it. But, uh, and the, the only reason that Tulane University allowed us to do it I think is because I was an architect. Right. And, and Stan Berteau, my friend who I do a lot of writing with, um, he's an old friend of mine that I met teaching architecture actually at Woodbury university in like 1990. Right. He created it with me. So he had a connection to Tulane and they, you know, we went in there as two architects and pitched this thing. And, and the distinction coming back to what we were saying before, the distinction was this isn't a reality show. We're not creating stuff. We're not going to try to make drama that's not there. Right. We're not manipulating things. We're making a documentary. We're going to follow these students. One of them's going to pick their house. We're going to follow that, you know, build of that house. So we didn't, I mean, I really did it like a documentary, like my documentary 11 Minutes, where it wasn't about, you know, doing any of the... Trumped up drama. Yeah, the manipulations or the tricks that you do. And I, I, I do tend to pick shows that aren't as manipulated. You know, there are some that are formulaic. it doesn't seem, as, a, as of your friend, and I, I don't see you that much, but you don't seem like you would be that comfortable trying to twist that thing so they say that thing that you need. You don't seem to have that personality. I'm, I'm not, and I don't really enjoy watching those shows. Yeah. Um, have you ever been in a situation where that was expected of oh, you? Oh, yeah. 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 And I, I, I have to, to approach it. Well, I always approach it in my way. It's yeah. like, you know, you have to gain the trust of the talent. Right. And then, you know, I always approach it as like, well, what are you doing in your life? What's going on? Okay. Well, that would be interesting to shoot. How is that going to play out? And right. all those things. And then as things are happening, try to talk with them. Like, you know, would you consider doing this or would you, you know, how would you feel about that? But I, I, I never can like say to them, like, 
just get mad at her and throw a, yeah. you know, vase at her or something. I mean, that's just, yeah. you know. I'm not saying it would be neat if you threw that table. Right. However. Right. And, you know and luckily I mean? I've been, I've been on shows that aren't really like that. Right. So, um, or I've, or I've turned down shows like that. Right. What's the craziest pitch you've turned down? Something that, did it ever go to air, you know, like. Uh, baby beauty pageant kids in a shark tank. I don't know. You know what um, I mean? What's well, the- you know, I've seen a lot of things that I didn't like. Yeah. Um, you know, where I've watched a sizzle reel, you know, usually if I go on a, a meeting for a show, a lot of times they'll have like a presentation or a, they call it a sizzle reel. Yeah. It's like a 10 minute thing. And there've been times where I've seen some that I just, you know, I said to my agent, like, ah, I can never do this show. Right. And then he usually pushes me to just, just go have the meeting. Right. And I, and I buckle and I'm like, all right, I'll just go have the meeting. And, and some of those meetings are amazing because there've been times, and especially this year, there've been a bunch of things that I, that I didn't take, um, that those meetings become easier because I don't really want the Because you have no, you're not that invested. So I go in there and I remember recently there was one where I, I said to myself, okay, I really don't like this project. Um, you know, I have, I have things in my head that I think are not working on it. And I thought, okay, this will be an interesting exercise. How can I have this meeting where in the most, you know, nice, you know, diplomatic way, can I tell them my thoughts on it without it sounding like I'm being obnoxious yeah. or being mean or I'm saying this is stupid or whatever. You don't want to walk in with a clipboard and say, I have a few notes. Exactly. So it was a fun <laughs> exercise in like diplomacy. Yeah. And then every time that happens, I've been getting the jobs. Right. There were three jobs this year that I had like that that I didn't. I think people like people with ideas. They do. They do. And I I think they also, you know, especially when it's at a sizzle level, they haven't worked everything out. And they know that. And they admit that. So they want somebody who's thinking about it and who who comes in with ideas that make sense that are going to say like, Oh yeah, actually we could fix that. Yeah. You know, the problem becomes when, you know, there've been some shows where it's just doesn't make sense. Right. So you kind of think like, why would anybody make this? Yeah. But, you know, things get greenlit all the time based on false things. Yeah. You know, where somebody over pitches something and, or over promises something. And then, you know, when you really get down to it, you think, well, how the hell are we ever going to get that? Yeah. Have you ever done a celebrity-driven one? You know, like a Leanne Rimes and Eddie Cibriano, where you um, follow a celebrity? Not really. I mean, Jay, but he's yeah. not like that. Jay McCarroll, yeah, the Jay Project McCarroll. Runway designer that you made the documentary on. Right. On and then when I did Kara's show, I mean, Bill Maher was an executive producer, but he wasn't in the show. Yeah, you produced a pilot for Bill Maher called Talk Nerdy to Me. Talk Nerdy to Me, yeah. I That's watched the clip Cara. on that, uh, and it was really fun. That show should have gone. It's a fun show. I know, yeah. and it was for HBO, and... It was a really fun show. Same production company as Queer Eye, actually. Yeah. I've done a lot of work for them. So when you got to do your own production company, so it was your logo that popped up at the end, mm-hmm. right? What was it? You know, because they always have, it's, like, sit, who <laughs> right. sit. Or they always have, like, quit watching TV, Greg Berlanti, it's, it's and not, go it's count not your fun, money. It's not fun like it's not cu- that. I, it's not You know what, though? Cute. That's good. I don't It's just like, words and colors, and it just slides I, I salute that, because I think I'm tired of the... I was used to be a kid once... We were all kids, right? Well, the name of my production company is weird, and people often 
like a couple times people will laugh when they hear it thinking that it means something that it doesn't mean. What is it? It's called maximum vacuum. Okay, I like that. And, and it's just... It has nice I like that the two words didn't really make sense together. Yeah. But it originally came from the first series that I did before we even called things reality. Right. I did a bunch of those medical shows like Trauma Life in the ER. Right. And the first thing I did was a pilot for a show called Maternity Ward, which I think went on for like five seasons after that. Wow. I did the first two episodes of it. Okay. It was on TLC, I think. Okay. And... Um, there was, there was a doctor, when we were in the edit room, we were writing down all these things that we thought would make good titles, because you title the episodes. Right. You know? And this doctor would say the funniest things, and, you know, there was one, he was, like, delivering this baby, and he's like, I want a nurse on the steps here, I want a nurse on the steps here, I want this, I want that, I want maximum vacuum. They were doing a vacuum. Yeah. Um, and a vacuum, we were in the edit room, vacuum, a vacuum delivery. Delivery. Yes. There's such a thing where they literally hook they up literally like a mover like to the a vagina. Suction cup on Holy the head. Shit. It's like when the head gets a little. I don't know if they still do it, but right. this was like 14, 15 years ago. Yeah. I think they do actually. Yeah. It was. She was trying to have a regular vaginal delivery. Right. Wasn't working. The head was sort of stuck. Tried the vacuum, and that weren't wasn't working. And then they went to a C-section. Wow. But I. I've seen so many births. Maximum. You've seen so many births. Yeah, it's crazy. In person. Yeah. Like C-sections and births, I've seen a lot. Wow. Of it's really weird. But anyway, that word, that maximum, like maximum vacuum, vacuum term kind of stuck. And then the the um, woman um, who was my editor then, who's such an awesome editor, Randy Snitz is her right. name. She went on to edit and produce my first feature with me, Fixing Frank. Right. And so that was when I named, that's when I made my production company and named it Maximum Vacuum because it was kind of Randy and I's Yeah, little, it was like a little yeah. bit of your history and it has a cool sound to yeah. it. Yeah, so both of my features have that name on it. Too. Now, Fixing Frank was a narrative feature, not a documentary. Right. And I think that was the time we met and became friends through the film festival circuit. Right, at Outfest. I think I had that. Evie Harris Shining Star yes. movie at the time. That was, I think it was Outfest 2001 or two. Yeah, 2001. Yeah. I, it was right It was right before 9-11, I yes. remember. Yeah. Um, and Fixing Frank is a story about, it has to do with rep- reparative therapy, right? Yeah, or some of that therapy. conversion yeah, therapy. Yeah. It's based on a play. Yeah. Uh, Ken Haynes is the author, awesome writer. In fact, he has a script now that I really like that it's kind of in the back of my head as something I... Right. I want to do again. Um, but he wrote a play and it played here for a while. It played in New York for a while and I saw it in New York. And the whole time I was watching the play, I was thinking, this would be a really great little movie. Like right. really kind of simple. It was three characters. Um, there was this one thing that it, that happened in it that made me think it would be a good movie because one of the characters was always in another character's head. So right. on stage they were up there. But I kept thinking, how would I do this in a movie? Right. Um, so that. So anyway, um, eventually I decided because it was it wasn't right away. Like it was a year later. I actually ran into Andrew Miller, who played Frank on stage, and then right. he was in my movie playing Frank. And I ran into him on the street, and uh, like a year after I saw the play in New York. Yeah. See, that's and, the kind and, of thing that happens in New York. Yeah, and there was there was a, there was talk of like Showtime was going to buy it or something, and. Um, they were going to do it on Showtime or something right. like that at that time. And so I ran into to Andrew, I was going to say Frank, and I said, hey, what's going on? And whatever happened with that plate at Showtime? He's like, no, 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 that never happened. Right. And then I was like, I should I should do something about it because I keep thinking about it. And it would right. make a great first It stayed film. with you. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, through him, I contacted Ken and, you 
you know, eventually we made it. And you had Dan Butler in it. Dan Butler, And yeah. people can watch it now. It's on, on Netflix. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Love it. Do you ever You can't hear stream from... it, though. You gotta do the disc. You gotta do the disc. a bummer. Do you ever hear from people that are like, hey, I just caught your movie? Or does it sort of... I, I occasionally get emails yeah. from people, because through my website you can email me, and yeah. I do get emails a lot. I, I get a lot of emails of people wanting to pitch me stuff, which is yeah. kind of weird, because, you know... You're a mover and I shaker. Mean, I guess so. Yeah. And actually, two people I did meet through there who had things... Like, two people wanted to pitch me stuff that I actually thought was really interesting, um, and I met them, and one of them... I mean, we I've become friends with both of them. Um, one of them went on to win an Oscar for a short film, a short documentary. Wow. Yeah. Which year? Um, it was, it's Daniel Youngie. It was, uh, two what, or three years ago. What was his doc about? It was called, uh, it was about a politician. Okay. Um, it was called, what was it called? I can't No worries. Remember. We can Google yeah. that shit. Governor Booth, something. It had a very long name, but it was a really good doc. Does working in the reality space, do you itch to tell more narrative stories? Do you do you want to make another film? I do. That, I mean, like something that, that's on your to-do list? Yeah, I mean, I sort of fell into this by accident. I right. mean, when I first started thinking about switching professions from architecture to film, I wanted to do narrative film, like many people do. Sure. You know, and so I, I started doing production design because I thought, well, I don't... I mean, I thought about going back to film school for a second. Right. And then I was like, oh, I'm too much in debt. I had debt from my... You know, I have a master's in architecture. I had, right. like, so much school debt. I was like, I can't do that again. So I thought, well, I could learn how to do it from, like... Being, I'll learn by being doing it. a set. So yeah. I took my architecture portfolio around and uh, showed it to people and got set designing jobs, like production design jobs on little indie films. Like, you know... What was the most... Well-known little indie that you worked on. Oh, a lot of them never saw the light of day. Who, were there any like well, nobodies that ended up being big stars? Well, there's one woman, Yvonne Rayner, yeah. who I don't know if she still makes films, but she was pretty big in the kind of indie avant-garde world, and yeah. she was like a darling at the Whitney Museum, and she taught at the Whitney, and um, she's made like 20 films. Right on, um, as so an actor one, or a director? As a director. Oh, right on. Um, so I did one of her films. Yeah. Um, I don't know what she's done recently. I That's cool. Up, but um, so you saw but that yeah, as nothing a way. was really, you know, n- none of them really were. Yeah, you don't have huge. you don't have footage of James Franco naked or anything no, in the dress room. I don't. Um, but wait, why did we? What, what we were was talking that? about set design as your way into filmmaking, right? Oh, but that, but but my point was that I really did want to do narrative stuff, and and um, I sort of fell into documentary because I became friends. I took one class. I was actually, I was in New York and I was teaching at School of Visual Arts and I was teaching at Pratt. I was teaching architecture. Right. And at School of Visual Arts, they had a film school. So because I was teaching there, I could take anything for free. So I took this one night class that was like, this was like in 1990. Um, actually, it was the year after I met Stan because I was here and then I went back to New York. I've been back and forth a lot. Right. Um, anyway, I met this woman named Lydia Tenalia. We became really good friends. We made these little Super 8 films in that class. And then in the mid-90s, Lydia went to film school at NYU. And, you know, we were super good friends. Uh, I, I worked on all her short films, like, producing them. And I would design the sets. And she would work on my short films. Like, I made a couple short films in the right. 90s. Um, you know, and she, she was great. And her mom, like, did all my craft services. You know, it was that kind of thing. Right. I loved you her You were family. young and hungry and fun together. And I was still doing architecture. I, I, I did a house edition for her parents in Connecticut. Yeah. 
you know. So um, we became really good friends, and then Lydia got into New York Times had a film production company for a while called New York Times Television, right? And they did all of those medical shows. So Lydia started editing there, and then she started producing there, and then there was one point at the end of the '90s where they were really stuck. She kept she kept bringing me in. For yeah. interviews, because she was like, you need to get in here. Because I was doing her shorts, right. and she's like, you're a good producer, you can do this. Even though, you know, right. short films. But, you know, you're still producing. Yeah, no, you have you the right skills. you got to make shit up, and, you know, and figure no, it out on your own. People can tell if you're smart and can do stuff. So, anyway, she, she kept bringing me in, and I would go in these, you know, these interviews that I must have just looked pathetic. Because, you know, I had this resume that had, like, five short films on it. That's it. That's you know, right. like, nobody's going to hire me to produce a TV show with five short films. So right. they would look at me like, you know, they're doing this as a favor for Lydia and like, oh, that's really cute. You know, come back, kid, when you've, like, actually yeah. made something. And it got to a point, I had been in there, like, three times in a couple of years. And I remember, you know, Lydia called me and she said, come back in again. And I was like, really? This, one, this time it's going to be different. Yeah, I was like, they're, they're, it's going to no, be the same this thing. Time, She's different. like, no, no, they're really stuck. They had a producer set. She's supposed to leave on Tuesday, and it was like, literally, it was like Friday. Right. And she bailed on them, and they couldn't change the shoe. This was the maternity ward. She's like, they're really stuck. They're really stuck. So apparently, you know, somebody had gone to Lydia and said, don't you know any producers? Because we're, we're fine. Yeah. Yeah. And she said, well, I keep telling you to hire my friend Seldich. And they're like, oh, yeah, that guy. So I went in, and I remember sitting down with, uh, actually, it's Glenda Hirsch, who now runs True Entertainment, which is a huge endemol company. She makes, right. you know, she makes, uh, you know, a lot of the housewife shows, and they make a lot of great stuff. Um, Glenda was the one, the executive producer at NYT, at New York Times Television, and I remember so clearly sitting in the room with Glenda and Lydia, and she kind of asked me questions again and kind of rolled her eyes at me, and then she just looked at Lydia, and she goes, okay. I'm going to hire him. Right in front of me, she's saying this in the third person. But if he fucks up, you're going to fix it. And Lydia's like, fine, I'll fix it. Love it and love it. And so I did it and, you know, I was, and you I've been working up. ever since. So that kind of, that stuff sort of turned into, I mean, that stuff was true documentary. Like, we went there knowing nothing. I mean, we're in hospitals, so, right. so we don't know. We don't know, like, in trauma, you didn't know who was going to come into the emergency room and what their problem was going to be. So it was like shooting a documentary. You were just had to figure everything out on What's the spot. It was amazing. It was an amazing exercise in learning how to do stuff. I had to shoot. I had to do sound myself. We didn't have sound people. I had to get the releases myself. Like every Ugh. producer had to do everything themselves that nowadays, like you have 13 people yes. doing, you know. So it was, it was incredible. And then I had to take the footage back to New York and make... You know, we'd have like 400 hours of footage that I had to make two episodes out of. When you were in the hospital, what's the craziest injuries you saw? Did you oh, did you a, ever throw up or get squeamish? You know, or? I really hate that blood. I don't like blood and needles. Yeah. So I was really scared about right, doing the hospital course. stuff. But when I would be in surgeries, and I shot a lot of them, I had to shoot. So yeah. I, was, I was more scared at not getting the stuff and fucking up the TV show than I was of blood. looking at the So I sort of forgot about it. And when you're looking through a camera, it sort of removes you. It was funny. I remember being more grossed out in the edit room than I was. Like, I'd be in the edit room going, oh, oh," I covered my eyes. And the editors would be like, you were there. What are you doing? And I was like, it's grosser now, seeing it really big. What was the weirdest thing you saw? Here's one thing I remember. um, 
I forget which show it was. I think it was Women Docs because I did like five different yeah. medical shows. Um, I was following a um, what is the term? It's encrinologist. No, who's the one that deals with liver or kidneys? A uh, a, ki- a, a kidneyologist. Yes. <laughs> you were following I'm, a kidneyologist. I'm on the word. That's okay. But we anyway, gotcha. um, this one doctor, she was doing a kidney transplant of a 21 year old boy who was giving his father a kidney. Wow. It's a really great story. Yes. And so... My heartstrings are already being tugged. So they literally... And it was fascinating because it was right. all laparoscopic. Yeah. So they're literally in adjacent ORs. Next to each other. And she, yes. And she's going to extract the kidney laparoscopically and then literally take it on a tray into the other room and put it into the father. And try not to drop it. Yes, exactly. So I remember dur- during... we were You know, we were shooting her at the scrub sink... And I was just asking her questions, you know, little OTFs like we do about, so what are we going to see? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And then we stop and I say to her, could you just do one thing for me? Could you just give me a heads up? And I was shooting this, you know, and at that time it's like, I, I, I didn't know what I was doing shooting. I mean, I was, I was doing it and I was getting better at every show, but you know, it made me, it scared me because I was not a cameraman, but anyway, I was the only one in there shooting this. So I said, would you just do me a favor and just give me a heads up? Cause these, these, Operations are hours and hours long. It's like yeah. a six-hour surgery. So it's not like it just you go in there, you take it out, you did, you know. And yeah, you're yeah, done. yeah. So I was like, just give me a heads up when you like when you think in the next ten minutes you're going to be pulling this because you got to get the shot. You got to get the shot of it coming of out, coming out of his yes. hole, his kidney hole. Yeah. Um, so and if you like, could do a little pirouette or something exactly. between tables, that'd be really adorable. Because it was just a single camera. It was yeah. just me. So she's like, oh, yeah, 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 no problem. You can't miss that shot. So in I'm a nervous wreck. You know, it's, so in the hour or two, probably two hours that it took to get the kidney out, I'm shooting all the cutaways of things. Like I'm shooting the monitor because it's laparoscopic. So yeah. you could literally see what's going on. It was fascinating. And, you know, shooting her doing all her things and shooting the nurses and shooting cutaways of, you know, the, the blood dripping and all this right. stuff. Um, so I was shooting some cutaway and all of a sudden I turn around and she's got the thing on the tray and she's halfway out the door to the next. And, and she looks at me and she saw the look on my face, like where I was like disappointed, disappointed and going, Oh shit. And she's like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I totally forgot. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. And she goes back to one. She goes, do you want me to put it back in? <laughs> And I was like, yes. seriously? Yes. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, yes. Will that hurt the kidney? And she's like, no, no, it's no problem. I'm like, well, don't kill him or anything. She's like, no, no, it's no problem. It's no problem. Back to one. She literally went back and stuffed the thing. I'm not, I'm not kidding. She stuffed it back into the hole. You know, yeah. she didn't attach it. No, of course. stuffed it back into the hole. Powdered her face. Yes. Checked her lipstick. I mean, this woman, I can't name names, but she probably, there could be crazy lawsuits. But she I'm did actually, that. I kind of love her for it. She turned around. She looked at me. She like had her hands on and she looked at me. And she's like, okay, you're ready. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, go. And then she pulls it out again and I followed it. Wow. In. So That's like amazing. things like that. I mean, there were a lot of things like that that were really crazy. What's the most, what was your most magical day on a set of one of those shows? Where you're like, I'm so happy I'm here to <laughs> see this. God, I don't know. I think. You know, one thing that was really awesome was when I shot my documentary on Jay. Jay McCarroll, the Project Runway designer, and it yeah. was called 11 Minutes, and it was him doing his big fashion show. Right, and I did two things on him. I did a doc, I did a one-off for Bravo. That's how I met him. Yeah. Project Jay. Right. That was equally as fun, where right. he was supposed to be doing a fashion show, 
but it's sort of because it was again it was it was very much a doc it turned into all, being all about him making a dress for Heidi Klum for the Emmys and she didn't wear it and she wound up not wearing it which was so sad and I that, remember there was some scene yeah, at a hotel yes and it was so sad Jay was so upset but anyway um, with 11 minutes I shot him for about a year did he win Project Runway the first time yeah okay, he won he the, the first, first winner. he won the first season yeah and then they made this one-off that I did. Yeah. So I was making it during the second season. And then after that, I, um, he said, you know, I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to do my own fashion show in Bryant Park on my own. And I'm selling a line of clothing in stores. And I was like, that's amazing. And I went back to Bravo and I pitched it as a series and it sort of went up the ladder and there was a particular person there that just didn't like Jay. So I won't name names, but it never never saw the light of day. And then I said to Jay, well, this is just too good to be, this is too good to pass up because A, what he was doing was awesome. B, Jay is awesome. Like he's, he's he's so funny and he's so talented that I used to joke, like you could shoot Jay doing his taxes and it would be completely entertaining. Yeah. You know? So, um, so I said, well, fuck it. Let's I'm just, just going to do it. Doc- yeah, let's just make a documentary and, and, we'll you- it in, and we'll do it as a movie. Like, I, you know, I didn't know what I was thinking because I had that idea and somehow it actually worked. But um, I said, let's just do a doc. So we shot him and I did this with Rob Tate, who was my boyfriend at the time. Right. Who's a super talented filmmaker. He's an, he's an amazing editor. He's a really great uh, producer. Um, really good camera man. And so Rob and I, Rob edited... Um, Project J. That was the first thing we worked on professionally together, which was, which was interesting because to tell a production company that you want your boyfriend to edit, they look at you like, really? And I was like, no, no, he's really good. Like I wouldn't have hired him if he wasn't good, but it was, it was kind of, I had to really, I shouldn't have told them, but I had to really kind of jump through hoops to get him to do that. And he was, he did such a great job on it that then we did it together. So we co-directed that. Well, and I remember seeing the movie, I, I think it was at Outfest too. And it was at Outfest, Was that Under the yeah. Stars? It was, it was at the Ford. And there was, it was something so poignant about it because Jay was somebody that had all this heat from Project Runway. Mm-hmm. And then you sort of realized that goes away and then you have to do it. Yeah. What's he up it's to hard. now? It's hard. But anyway, to answer your question, I was thinking when you, your question was about a, a moment... His fashion show in Bryan Park was that moment. I mean, because you'd watched him we do had, it. Yeah, we had worked with him for a year, and I remember the day of because we had shot that whole thing single cam, and then the day of we hired more cams and we had five cameras, so I wanted you to feel like you were everywhere, like backstage, yeah. front stage, in the audience. We had cameras everywhere, and that day was really exciting because I watched him do. You know, I'm really into like process. Right. The same thing with architecture school was about process. You know, how do you build a house? How right. do you design a house? Um, same thing with Project Runway. It's why I still love Project Runway and still yeah. watch it. But that whole year, we were documenting his process, and here it was all culminating in this 11 minutes. And that's where the title comes from, because the whole time he kept joking, this is a lot of work for 11 minutes. Right. You know, a fashion show is like 10, 11 minutes. So that day, watching that fashion show was like, Really? Where were you in relationship to it? Were you... I was all over the place. Running around? Yeah, I was backstage a lot. When the fashion show itself happened, I was out in the, the, you know, near the edge of the runway. Um, 
and then backstage again, I was kind of all over the place. Yeah. I'm, What's I'm he up in to it now? too. I don't ever remember. It's like, yeah, because we started to realize that the, the, what we were doing, making the film seemed equally as difficult as what he was doing. Right. Cause we, you know, it was indie. We were really struggling. We had no money and it was a really low budget. So we started to put the people in the, you know, the crew in the film. Um, nice. And kind of break that fourth wall. What, uh, what's he up to now? Do you know? He's, yeah, he's teaching in Philadelphia. He's been teaching for a while at the school that he went to school at. And he has a line that's a small line that's online. A lot of line in there. That's cool. Um, And he does, you know, he does different shows and, um, he's kind of taken a small scale, like a, I mean, he, he's still making stuff. He still does stuff. Right. I, I, I would love to see him go big. Yeah. And I think it'll happen. But he's just, you know, he's, he's not that thing. into the business aspect. Yeah, you gotta. He likes to do it, you know, his way. And sure, you know, not everybody has to be the biggest thing. Yeah, to be happy. Yeah. He's he's uh, he's great. He's such a funny guy. Have you ever had a moment in your career where you thought, "Fuck this, I'm going back to architecture." There have been a couple times where I entertained the idea of going back to architecture, but it wasn't really serious. It was kind of like, I either missed it or, but yeah, you're right. It was like something was so frustrating that made me say, should I go back to architecture? Right. You know, or I'd say to myself, well, at least I have something I could go back to. Although it wouldn't be easy. No. I mean, I haven't, I haven't been doing it professionally for like. 14 years. Yeah, so you could go condo condo to condo and say, look what I did yeah, to our it, thing. It, it wouldn't be easy to... Um, yeah. I mean, I have a license in New York, but if I wanted to bring that out of frozen, whatever it's called, yeah. I'd have to do, like, probably hundreds of hours of... You know, it's like a doctor, they have a thing where you have to do classes. Yeah, you'd year, have to get up to certain see. hours um, to, you know... So they would make me do, yeah. like, I don't know how many hours... Is there a reality show that you like to watch, but you would never want to work on, but it's kind of a guilty pleasure to watch? I have a couple guilty pleasures. What are they? Although I don't know. I mean, I would work on them. One of them is so embarrassing. I've been completely fixated on botched. What is botched? Is that about bad plastic surgery? It's like botched plastic surgery. Oh, fuck. And I did a plastic surgery show in 2002. Um, Did it make you think, maybe someday I'll do that or never? Or did it affect it's, the way Well, you, you know, I got really it. tired of the... Med- I mean, I did so many medical yeah, things. Yeah, it's enough gauze. I, I got a little tired yeah. of that. Um, so when I was doing the plastic surgery show the first time, I was sort of feeling like I need to move on and do something else. But this show is just, you know, the people who come on are so crazy because some of them want the craziest things, and these two doctors turned down a lot of them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's there's certain shows like that, but so botched. Is, I, t- I tend to really like competition reality more than yeah. more than docu soap, and for some reason I make docu soap more than yeah. competition. So I don't know why that is. But did you watch any Motor City Masters with uh, after your? I didn't even know it existed, and after your podcast, I started watching it. Thank yeah, you. It's, it's really cool, good. right? Did it's you really see good. the ending? He's, he's great. He's I great. didn't see the ending yet, and. Do you today, know what happened? No, but I today I was driving and I looked on your thing to see yeah. if you had a new podcast and yeah. it was 
it was him, it was your extra with Brian. Yeah. And you started to say, we're going to talk, we're going to break it down. And I turned it off because I haven't seen it. See? Good discipline. All right. Now, did you work on who did you think, who do you think you are? The one where they go and find the star's background? I did. What I did just you do did, on that? I just did one of them. I directed the Reba McIntyre. Oh my God. My friend Brett does Reba's makeup. And he was telling me that he was around for some of that. Yeah. And she's uh, sweet. She's super sweet. Yeah. He remembers telling me a moment where, like, that it was really, like, moving and, like, I don't know. I just that remember show it is being very, cool. That show is really yeah. moving. That's yeah. a great show. I mean, that that's a show, like, like 30 Days. I did one episode of 30 Days. That's the one with Morgan Spurlock. Right. Those were, both of those shows were shows that I really, really loved. And I was like, I really want to work on this. And yeah. only got to do one episode. But it was better than not doing any. Sure. Um, I have a little crush on Morgan Spurlock. Is that Okay. I think so. He's cool. He's like, totally gay. I don't friendly. need to rethink he's that. He's gay friendly. Okay, cool. Yeah, he's totally cool. He's, he's not like, oh, yeah, if you yeah. knew him, you wouldn't like him. No, no, no. I could, still, I could still have that crush. I mean, I don't know him that well, but... But you got along If with I him. saw him on the street, he'd know who I was. But he... But, uh, yeah, he's he's a super nice guy. I love that. What would you... What's your dream project? Something you'd love to do either uh, in in the reality space... Or not in the reality space. Well, I think my dream project these days is not in the reality space. I yeah. mean, I would love to do scripted television. I'm working on, you know that I'm working on another movie now. I did, and I read scripted. the script. Do you want to say yeah. anything about it? We could talk about that, yeah. I Just mean, that, it's a really, that really cool be, project. Um, yeah, when that project gets up and off the ground. I mean, it is off the ground now, but when, you know, when that's really, like, on a calendar... Being you know scheduled, I will be. You'll be happy really, as a really plan. Excited, yeah. That's awesome. So that's been. It's a real life story. Can right. I say a little about what it yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, based on a true story about when this young gay actor in New York City was cast opposite Richard Burton in the Broadway show Equus. Right. And uh, when I read the script, it reminded me a bit of my week with Marilyn about this yeah. young person having this whirlwind experience with this legend who was larger than life and amazing and scary and wonderful and all of that stuff and how it sort of a coming of age thing. So, yeah. In fact, when I was writing the script, I was thinking of my week with Marilyn and, um, and actually Capote came into my head a lot because it, I love those films about real people in a real situation, but it's not like a biopic. Yeah, it's not just start this to finish. One moment. Yeah. So, like, my week with Marilyn was that one week. Capote was just about him writing in Cold Blood. Yeah. You know, so I love those kind of movies. That's about a moment in time that of a character that you know that's a real person, um, and and who was around them, and you know what happened. So I've always really been like like those yeah. kind of stories. Um, with this story, Keith McDermott, the protagonist in my yeah, my film is a friend of mine, um, and I, I've probably known Keith for like maybe I don't know a dozen years. I met him in New York. He's you know like in his sixties now, and he he's an actor, but he hasn't acted a lot. But he's uh, started writing, and he wrote a short story that he gave me and asked me to read. And um, I was reading it, and like two pages in, I was thinking to myself. There's a script. There's a you started feature. having that moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was having that moment because I didn't expect to be having that moment. In fact, right. it's funny because he also gave me his novel. He wrote right. a novel, and when I was reading the novel, I remember thinking, "I wonder if this could be a movie." And then I read the novel, and I really enjoyed the novel. 
but I didn't think but it you was didn't a movie. have that feeling right and then movie. I read his short story which I wasn't thinking anything about it right. being a movie and like two pages in I was like this is a movie and I remember going to Keith and saying I loved your short story can I can I option it I wanted I want to do a movie and he's like you mean like a short and I was like no like a feature and he's like he made this face like what do you mean like how are you gonna do that I was like, no, no, I can imagine it as a feature. So anyway. Well, because he was living a really wild gay life at the same time that yeah. he ended up getting this amazing opportunity. Well, he understood why I was, why I found it interesting. Right. But I don't know if he got why I thought it was a feature or not. Because yeah. it was a short story. I mean, it was just about him yeah. getting this role. You know? And Richard Burton in your script comes off as so fun and dangerous and kind in a way, but, yeah. but unpredictable. And you're, it's fun whenever he pops up. Yeah, which is yeah. what he was like. And I had, you know, the luxury of having Keith to bounce things off yeah. of. And, you know, every time I did a draft, and I did a lot of drafts, Keith would read it, you know, and I would have a million questions for him, like, would this have happened? Or how did this happen? Or what happened here? Or would he have reacted that way? And would Burton ever say something like that? So I feel like it's really, really based in truth because I had Keith You had to, the person there. Bounce. Yeah. Yeah, so... That's well, I hope you get to fun. make it, because I want to go see it. Uh, speaking of movies, I saw two yesterday, back-to-back. I saw Love is... I'm choking. I'm sorry. Do you want some more water? <clears throat> yeah, a little more water, and I may cut this bit out. Because I can do that now. I edit and stuff now. I used to just go straight through. Do you want to do that, or do you want to tell me your thing? Well, I'll tell you now, because I'm, I'm kind of like... I think I'm clearing my throat out. So, <clears throat> I'll wait till you sit back down. Um, I love that you did a show called Risky Listing. That's almost like Maximum Vacuum. It is a little yeah. like that. That was a fun show. That was one of Esquire's first. Uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, I saw two movies yesterday. I saw Get On Up, the James Brown biopic, and I loved it. Oh, how was that? Well, I loved The Help. It's the same director. I, same director, and I feel like he is not getting his due. And I feel like this movie does not take the traditional biopic approach from, you know, cradle to grave. It jumps around and makes these interesting, audacious choices, and I thought it worked, and the performances are dynamic. Yeah, I want to see that, because I loved the help. Yeah, so I think you'd like this. And you should see it soon, because it's going away. Um, The other thing I saw was Love is Strange, the Ira Sachs movie, the gay couple... John Lithgow and oh, yeah, Alfred yeah, yeah, Molina. Yeah, I, a friend of mine really wants to see it, so we're going to see it next week. You will see it next yeah. week. It's really good. It, it, it sort of starts off in a, and kind of goes along its way, and then at the end I found myself absolutely devastated and so moved by it. Like, oh, where did the fuck that come from? They're not, both Not so in terms good. of what happened, just in terms of, like, how he creates these emotions and how he makes you feel and understand his points without hammering them home. It's very subtle. It's very human. I They're highly recommend it. They're both such good actors. Yeah. Who, who directed that? Uh, his, uh, Iris Sachs is the oh, name. I, and oh, his okay. last movie was Keep the Lights On, which I also loved. I don't know It was that. a gay story of a couple, and one of them was a drug addict, and it was over a number of years. Mm. And you, His movies are just so human, and you just believe everything. And they're kind of thorny. And Marissa Tomei's in this, and her character is... A novelist, and you can tell she's a little full of herself, and she gives this speech at their wedding, and she's kind of makes it about her, but she's also a friend of their. Like, I felt like, oh, these are people you know. They're not like. She's always fun in a movie. She takes interesting roles. Yeah, and them together, Lithgow and. um, Molina. Dynamite. 
And He's it's so good. I love Alfred and Lena. So good. I Both of saw them. Um, the, the movie that I still cannot stop thinking about is Boyhood. Yeah. I loved that so much. I mean, it I loved so it, but it hasn't stayed with me time. in the way that it has stayed with other people. You know what's Maybe funny? Maybe I need to see it again. I Really? Because didn't you, I think you even talked about it on one of your podcasts. And you, I did. You really probably. liked it, didn't you? I liked it, but but I'm not, like, as, like, I wouldn't talk about it the way I, it didn't pack the punch that it packed for a lot of people. But I admired it, and I was moved by it, but I don't, it didn't get under my skin in the same yeah, way that it I did a lot of other people. thought everybody was so great in it. Yeah. Ethan Hawke, who I usually find kind of boring, yeah. was awesome. I thought he was great. I think he's and evolved into a really cool actor. Was, I think she's going to get an Oscar nomination. For that would be awesome. I'd and love that. And the kid was great. And speaking of movies, you've chosen a couple of cards from my observation deck. I haven't, I forgot about, sometimes I forget about it. My gimmicks are a little hit and miss on this podcast, in case you people haven't noticed. So um, let's start with this pick, this card that you picked. All right. Well, I have to say, there's a lot of really fun questions in your card. Thank it's you. Like, it's like, I love that question, but I don't know what my answer would be. Right, so I exactly. didn't pick this. Um, which one are we starting with? Start with this one. This one? We're talking about movies. So, okay. So, what's your favorite bad movie? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a little bit of an oxymoron, because if it's if I really think it's a bad movie, it can't be something that I love, because, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's a bad movie you love. Yeah. Okay. So, it's a movie that many people probably think is a bad yes. movie, but I think it's awesome, um, is The Eyes of Laura Mars. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Now, who was in that? That was Faye Dunaway. That's right. And Tommy Lee Jones. And... When okay. he was he was very young and very sexy. Yeah, but there's something. I mean, aside from the story, which we can talk about in a second, it was made in the '70s, which is my favorite era of movies. I think. Best, the best, the best movies are from the '70s. I love that. all my favorite movies are in yeah. the '70s because it was an era before the blockbuster. Yeah, right. And it was an era when you know directors could go into a studio and say, you know, ah, I want to make a movie about a shark, and they're like, okay, here's some money. Yeah, you know, nobody had to like jump through the hoops that they have to go through yeah. now and they weren't like oh you need a chase scene because we need to get the people in the seats like well and they made before all of that they made adult dramas i, I right. was talking to a really successful screenwriter i remember last year and he was saying that like when you go into studios now they might have one slot they have the argo slot and every serious accomplished writer and director in hollywood is trying to get the argo slot well, but the thing, but that's the thing. That's it. They, were, they only one. have that Argo slot for a serious accomplished director. Right. If I came in there with Argo, I would have never been able to make it. Yeah. But it was Ben Affleck. So, right. They're, but know. they're only making one. There's only one. And it has to be a huge person. Yeah. Like it's so, yeah, and even so the huge people, even the one that's like two or three or whatever. But was that anyway. a studio? I mean, we don't know. Maybe he raised, I mean, I don't know the story behind oh, that. Oh, with Argo? Yeah. I mean, maybe he, like Clooney, the way he makes his movies and it's yeah. all independent. And yeah. I, I don't you know, know exactly how that came together, but it was that kind of movie right. that they're willing to make one of right, those right, right. a year, maybe. But the, anyway. But the other thing about Eyes of Lar Mars being in the 70s is it was, when you think of the 70s now, you think of, or at least I do, kind of tacky, disco. Yeah. You know, Heaven. It, was, it was gorgeous. Like, the interiors and the clothes in that movie, if you watched it now, and ma- and I haven't watched it in a while, but I've seen the movie many times, um, were beautiful. So, Her clothes that, have were you beautiful. ever been inspired by something beautiful. in that, like, oh, I'm going to do an Eyes of Laura Mars Well, my, well my movie that we just talked about is 1975, yeah. so, but it's not the same, you know, 
Keith is, you know, living in squalor in yeah. New York because he's a 24-year-old, you know, out-of-work actor. Right. So it's not like he's going to have an apartment like Faye Dunaway did in Eyes of Larmar. So it's it's a little bit different, but it is that same time But period. you would love to live in that apartment. Oh, it was, it was just beautiful. Yeah. It was I really great. I have to great. check it out. You should check, check it, it out. out. But, but also, um, the story was so fun. I really love those kind of um, psychological, yeah. you know, like, I, I love movies like, you know... Sixth Sense and those yeah. kind of things, and this had that kind of element where she had this psychic thing going on. Love it, you know. So that that was I don't think really I've fun. ever seen it, and I think I confuse oh, it with Looker. It. You should really watch it. Yeah, that would be a good double. Feature. And you'll be shocked at how sexy Tommy Lee Jones is. Oh, maybe I won't. No, maybe I will. Um, my favorite bad movie lately is um, Molly with Elizabeth oh. Shue. And I was turned on to it by Jennifer Coolidge when I was working on the movie Testosterone. I don't know. We were talking about bad movies, and she was in it. And she goes, you have to rent Molly. And it was like a a Flowers for Algernon kind of story where Elizabeth Shue, it was right after leaving Las Vegas where she had a little clout, and she was going to take on this more challenging role. Maybe it was her Oscar role. She she didn't get an Oscar, did she, for leaving? But she was nominated. She was nominated, I think. he got an Oscar. He did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh... She's mentally challenged. There's something up with her. And Aaron Eckhart is her brother. And then they find a treatment, and she starts getting better. And then she starts getting worse. So it's like Flowers for Algernon, basically. Right, right, right. But the weird thing was, is she became kind of a bitch when she got more better. And I was like, I liked her better when she was <laughs> more... Was, was it good? Was she good in it? Or well, it was just weird? she... That's so risky when you're an actor trying to do that stuff. She would, like, when she was really, you know, super mentally challenged, she'd be like, Molly, hot! And she would, like, take off her clothes in her brother's office. And it was, like, a little treacly and cutesy. And also, you felt like it got edited all the shit, so you never knew how retarded she was from scene to scene. Like, you felt like it was kind of, like, all over the place. But it, it for a while among my friends, it was, like, our jam. It when, was full when, on our jam. was this? I think it 90s? would have come out in, like, 95. So check out Molly. I've no, I don't even, Molly I don't even remember it. If, if she was hot, she would say, Molly hot. It was crazy. We would do that a lot. So anyway, we have one other question, and then we're going to wrap this up. Okay, so... Oh, this is a nice one to end on, I think. Yeah, so what's your favorite souvenir from a job? Herpes. That, I'm just saying for me. No, oh, I'm that. kidding. That's stupid and not true at all. That would be a souvenir, but like on my cruise, I could see it on a cruise ship maybe happening, but it didn't happen to me. I mean, I I have a bunch of fun things, but one thing that I really like is um, I have a necktie that was from Hip Tips and Queer Eye. What's Hip Tips? Remember? Oh, they would they would Queer Eye. Yes, they would do. I don't remember if we called them Hip Tips on the show. Maybe we did, but at the very end of the show, they'd have like three tips. Yeah, really fast in the and it was always a different one that would do it. Yeah, so. We were always shooting those because, you know, yeah. and it, they were always hard to come up with new ones because you had to have like three or four yeah. per episode. And, you know, they made, we made like a hundred episodes of that show. Right. You um, run out of hip tips. You run out of hip How tips. How many times can you fold yeah. a pocket square? You know, like turn your jeans inside out when yeah. you put them in the dryer so yeah. they don't fade. You know, so anyway, Carson did one on necktie. Make your own necktie by putting decal. And he like did this weird thing with decals. Like decals that you would get like an STP No, we sticker. made our own. Like okay. It was like a one of them was a picture of Carson. Okay. That like he you would made make on a, a laser, and then he ironed it on. Yeah, like on a laser printer, and then he wow. ironed it on the tie. And when it was done, I was like, "That tie is awesome!" And then Carson like throws the tie at me. 
And what is it? A is it a tie? It's a necktie. It's a necktie yeah. with Carson's face on it. Yeah, yeah. Do you have it? I have it. I've never worn it. Can I we take a picture it in, of it to it's post? In, it's in New York. It's oh in my shit! Apartment okay. All right. You don't I have a picture a of it or anything. Oh, but you know what? I have an. I have a better. Uh, I just thought of a better souvenir that okay. Carson gave me Good. that I have in my closet here. Okay. Is it was the episode of uh, I think his name was Mike and he was a cop. Okay. And I'm already he was really into uh, baseball. Into, okay, I'm in. Yes, he was adorable. Right. He was really into baseball, and Carson made him this this jacket. He took this jacket that was um, kind of pinstriped, right, like a baseball uniform, and he put his name a sports jacket, like a regular right. sports jacket, and he put his name in baseball letters sewn on the back of it, like in a, in a curve. Right. And then I was like, "That is so great!" And he made me one. He made you a base so a I jacket. Have, yeah, I mean the the art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, sure, but he's like, you know, make another one yeah. for Seldage. So I have one that says Seldage, and I think the number, I think the number was the number of the episode. Oh, that's cool. I, ha- I know I have it. Right okay, here we're gonna stuff. take a picture of that and put it on the website. That's really cool. It was very cool. I love and that. I've, and I've worn. The, I haven't worn it in a long time, but yeah, I wore it a bunch of times because yeah. it's such a. Every time I wear it, people yeah. are like, what the fuck is that? Like, it's yeah. a conversation piece. That's amazing. Yeah. People like it. And you still wear it. I haven't worn it in a while, but I would wear it. Maybe still. cowboy I boots s- are back or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway. Well, Michael, I want to thank you because when we met at, at Outfest back in the day, you um, liked my work and stuff and you hired me on a show once. That was right. Like we fun. did that show for MTV. There it is on your web- website, The, the Naughty, Naughty Show. show. With Tristan Taramino. Yeah. I wish we, that happened. That would have been know. fun. We just did the pilot. That I know. Really we could, yeah, that was, that was amazing. And you've been a big booster of the podcast and I just, I really appreciate it. Um, when you're between jobs and you're like, what the fuck's going to happen? How do you not go crazy? What do you tell yourself? Or I've how gotten do you... better at it. Yes. I mean, I've been freelancing for a long time. I don't think, I don't think I've had a full-time job since 90 right 1990 so that's a long time so i've sort of gotten used to it but it took a it took a long time for me to get used to it um lately like this year i've just been writing so much right. that i sort of just kind of get lost in that and it feels like your job even though well it feels like my job except i'm not making any money yeah, but, uh-huh. so it's hard but right. i feel like at least i feel like i'm doing something productive right. so i don't get that freaked out about it yeah i mean it, it, it's hard it's really yeah. hard i mean i try to i try really hard when i am working to put away a lot of money so that right. i can float for a couple months in between because you yeah. never know right but you know how that is i mean everybody deals with that who freelances but in many ways i feel like everybody even people with regular full time 9 to 5 jobs in nowadays, in this economy, in the economy we've had for the last four years, have to really, or last six, seven years, yeah. have to think of things like, I might not have this job tomorrow. Yeah. You know, so everybody has to kind of think in a different way now, I think. Everybody. So, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. I just, sometimes I deal with it better than other times. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I'm a mess. Well, this month has been crazy. All the stuff happening in the world, Robin Williams, like, it's just... One thing after another, yeah. it's just, I just decided, okay, I'm a little freaked out, but guess what? So is everybody else. I know. So let's go to the Arclight and see James Brown or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, that's where I'm at. But anyways, 
Um, thank you so much for, for sharing your stories on what it's like to be doing what you do. Good luck with everything you're up to. If you want to learn more about Michael and see clips of the shows he's worked on, he has a website that you designed yourself, uh, which I'm trying to do for uh, Dennis Anyone Squarespace on Squarespace. Awesome. Uh, and it's Selditch.com. Because a lot of times you go by just Selditch. Selditch, yeah. Yeah. We're Seldich on the set. Who's we got I call myself Seldich all the time because yeah. there's so many Michaels yeah. that if I'm on the phone with somebody and I'm like, hey, you know, this yeah. is Michael, they're like, Michael who? Which one? I like it. It's sort of old school. Yeah, so I started. Man, it's a little like. Yeah, I yeah. started just calling myself Seldich. Yeah, Seldich, get in here or whatever. So all my stuff. Yeah. For, uh, luckily, nobody else took it. My yeah. website, my Instagram, my Twitter is all Seldich. That's awesome. Yeah. That must feel good. Mine are all over the fucking map. Anyway, all right. Thank you for listening. This has been Dennis Anyone, and uh, we're going to catch you next time. If you have an email you want to send to me, the address is DennisAnyonePodcast at gmail.com. And thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks.